Welcome to the Fisher's Second Ward podcast. This is a podcast to help members of the Fisher's Second Ward of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints get to know their neighbors in the ward. The ideas and thoughts that we share aren't necessarily a reflection of the official doctrines of the church. We just hope to strengthen our friendships and our faith by sharing our stories. Thanks for listening, and let me introduce you to a member of the ward. And once again, it's two members of the ward. I have with me Alan and Louise Colwell, which I have to say, um, for those of you who are uh, longtime members of the Fisher's Ward or Fisher's First Ward or Fisher's Second Ward, which some of us are, um, Alan Colwell is a very familiar name because we know the son of Alan and Louise Colwell. So um, I will tell you that when you were the, I think you were an assistant executive secretary, is that what you were? Right. Um, we would get emails about young men's activities, and Marcine would say, why is Alan Colwell, who's not in our ward, sending us emails about what's going on in our ward? And <laughs> so we have to make sure we distinguish which Alan we're, t- we're talking about. But welcome, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you a little bit. So, and Luis has already promised that she's not going to say anything. So, we'll see if we <laughs> we'll see if we can um, work around that or something. But let's start out as we oftentimes do. Tell us a little bit about where where you're from. How did you get to Indiana? How did you get to Fishers? We came to Fishers because we have grandchildren here that you mentioned, the children of Alan Colwell, mm-hmm. and there is a temple here. So when we retired from the Boeing in the Seattle area, we were looking for a place to go that had both of those grandchildren and a temple. We were political climate refugees also wanting to get out of the Seattle area. (laughs) The Pacific Northwest. And we're very happy to be here. We love it here. That's good. I've got a sister who lives up in that area. And it's a little bit different from a a political standpoint. It is, indeed. Well, cultural standpoint. So you were at Boeing? I worked there for 30 years. Nice. What did you do at Boeing? I was in the environmental remediation group. We were cleaning up environmental messes from previous generations. We, building airplanes, you use a lot of solvents and other hazardous materials that sometimes found their way into the soil and groundwater. Huh. And we had a group of people that went around uh, the country cleaning them up. Pretty much every place Boeing built airplanes or anything else there's contamination. So there's several sites in Puget Sound, there's Wichita, there's Philadelphia, and several other places. My job was to work with the disposal of hazardous substances, hazardous waste that Boeing did. So we would send them to places that the Environmental Protection Agency told us to send them. And then those places would turn into uh, total environmental disasters. And then EPA would say, go clean up that mess that you made, so we would be obligated to do that. So I would work with other uh, representatives or other companies who also sent waste to those places, and we would uh, get them cleaned up and try to, we would, Boeing was great actually for being willing to pay our share Mm -hmm. and not hide from our responsibilities. My job was to make sure we didn't get stuck with too much of the bill, and we tried to do it as efficiently as possible. and it was it was a great uh, career. I loved it. I was, I got to do a lot of historical research huh. because I had to find out what Boeing was doing with hazardous materials in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, all right. the way up. And so I got to talk to a lot of old timers, mm-hmm. which I am one now. But but I'd talked to a lot of old people with cool stories and read through the old Boeing news uh, articles from the 40s, 50s, 60s, and learned a lot about the company. And actually, I will volunteer a story. So I was, the Boeing Company started in 1916, uh-huh, okay. and I was there in 2016. I was going to ask if you were there in 1916, uh, but I, I was. Okay. Uh, not there in 1916, <laughs> no. Um, <clears throat> but I worked with a lot of, with Boeing's historic archives people a lot, because they had all the records in the newspapers and stuff. Uh-huh. So I knew them, and I knew that they, in the couple of years gearing up to the 100-year anniversary, they were doing a lot of work to help company big shots get ready for these 100 year anniversary celebrations Mm -hmm. and I knew by then a lot about Boeing's environmental history so I asked our company environmental leaders if they wanted to get on that bandwagon and do uh, some you know 100 years of environmental goodness at the Boeing company and didn't really get much response but uh, we had every year we would have a 
Remediation Fest for all the remediation people in the Northwest and in Southern California, which was where most of us were, would get together and compare notes and, and do a group hug sort of thing. So we, we were planning the, um, one of those events, and I was on the, the planning group. We had to do something about safety because of the, we were good corporate citizens and not wanting to injure people and all that. So I suggested, well, I could do a little pitch on, on 100 years of uh, safety at the Boeing Company. Because during my research, I learned a lot about the things that the company had done. Uh-huh. And they had a great record for trying to not hurt people from the very early days of the company. And so um, I did this maybe 15, 20-minute presentation. On, I, I stopped at 1965, I think. So I did like the first 50 years of, of um, safety goodness at the Bond Company. And it was a very popular presentation. And the vice president heard about that, and she had, she had actually hired somebody to do a put-together presentation for her, the vice president, on um, the last 50 years of environmental goodness at the company. And so she heard about what I had done, and so we talked, and she found out that I already had all this stuff put together for the whole 100 years mm-hmm. of environmental and safety goodness. And so I got to spend a lot of time with her, and we put together this uh, big presentation for her, that she made to all the environmental health and safety Boeing people in the whole company for an annual meeting. And it was wildly popular and people wanted to reproduce it and, and do that in their own staff meetings and all that. Yeah. So we turned it into, I think, 10 little 10-minute uh, videos that we put together. We broke up the presentation and did little pieces. And, and it was cool. It was when I left the company, it had been seen by like 10,000 people wow. with individual videos. And so that was, I was at the right place and the right time there and with the right experiences to, to do that. Because not to boast too much, but there wasn't anybody else in the company that could have done that because I, I was kind of the environmental historian. Uh-huh. And it was a way cool opportunity. And we had a great story to tell. And I got to do some other presentations with our remediation people on the subject. And it was way cool. Um, and I, I like to tell stories. And it was... It was a lot of fun. That's cool. So is Seattle, is that the main uh, Boeing headquarters? Is that? It was for most of the time. And then, what was it, 10, 15 years ago, they moved to Chicago with, with great fanfare. So Boeing merged with uh, McDonnell Douglas in, when was it, the late 1996, 97, something like that, I believe. And one of the, the big shots in McDonnell Douglas didn't like sitting at the corporate headquarters, which was in... Boeing Field in Seattle mm-hmm. and seeing all these Boeing airplanes coming and going uh, because he was a McDonnell Douglas guy. So he wanted to get headquarters out of Seattle. So they did a big search and, and apparently got a lot of good tax breaks to go to Chicago, which I just le- recently learned are now expiring. So now they're moving <laughs> to um, Virginia, oh, okay. just across the river from D.C. Oh, wow. So that's the new plan is to move there. Wherever the tax breaks go, they'll right. follow them, I guess. So yeah, but but it was the company headquarters uh, there, and that's where most my my most of my knowledge was from the Heritage Boeing Company history, uh-huh. and along the way I started picking up some of the McDonnell and Douglas history as well. But okay, but I mostly knew about the old Boeing stuff. So the um, the um, where the the airplanes are manufactured there in Seattle, uh, I took Edison there a few years ago. And that's a, an impressive facility. Yes, there are several in the area. Yeah, yeah the one, the, the, the original factory no longer exists. It was up, the, the Duwamish River goes through Seattle, and Plant 1 and Plant 2 were both along the Duwamish River. And Plant 2 went away in 1970. That's where they started. Okay. Plant 2 is where they built all the uh, B-17s for World War II. And then there's a plant um, in Renton on the edge of Lake Washington where they built B-29s. And in Everett is where they build the, the wide-body airplanes. Okay. Um, and there's some other smaller facilities around. But yeah, it's, the Boeing has a huge presence, presence in the Puget Sound. Yeah. Um, it made a lot of messes in the Puget Sound. <laughs> so we spent 
we had we were we had up we had spent about a I think about a billion dollars on environmental remediation when I left. Wow, that's a lot of money. That's good for job security, though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was always work to be done. Yeah. For sure. That's good. So, how did the two of you meet? We met at Brigham Young University. Okay. So another one of those stories. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. Yeah. So I was sort just of. starting out, and she was just finishing up. So we just okay. kind of crossed paths. My last paths. semester, I was a senior graduating, and he was a second semester freshman. Uh, okay. So how's that, getting to know a second semester freshman as a senior? Hmm. <laughs> I thought he was awfully cute. Okay, well, that's important. That's a good he thing. He was in my ward, and the first time I saw him with his beautiful brown curly hair, he was at church sitting between two beautiful girls, and I thought, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind him. <laughs> but it still worked out well. So oh, a few years later, yeah, it sounds like it, it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how long has it been? 40, 46, I think. 46 years. Wow. I tell people, we, we're hitting 32 years next year, or next month, and I tell people that it's 32 years to the same woman all in a row. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. impressive because mm-hmm. it doesn't happen that much. It's been consecutive. It'll be 46 in December. Well, congratulations. So you met at BYU, and mm-hmm. what were you studying, Louise? I was studying home economics education, secondary education, and um, mainly selfishly because I wanted to learn everything. Okay. And um, I thought if I don't get married, I can always teach something that I really enjoy. Right. And if I do get married, I can be really good at being a home economics person in my house. Right. So I win either way. That's great. So that's what I majored. I couldn't figure out which one I wanted, clothing and textiles Uh or cooking or whatever. So I thought, I'll just take it all. So that's what I did. Works out pretty well. Yeah, I loved it. And yeah. so the two girls obviously didn't work out for him. So no, and they were awfully cute. Nope, no. I was delivering um, for the there was a there was a church softball game going on, and I was delivering flyers for a genealogy seminar thing, whatever. Uh-huh. And and uh, couldn't find people, and they were all at the game. So I went down to the game to deliver them there, and. There he was, and I thought, oh, he's so cute. And he said, I don't think we've met yet. My name is Alan Colwell, and I thought, Alan what? I don't, <laughs> I didn't understand that name, but I thought, oh, he is so cute. And so being kind of conniving, I, I told his roommate, I just met the cutest guy. Oh, I wish he'd ask me out. And so, of course, this guy told him. Uh-huh. And since he was kind of shy, Alan's kind of shy. Okay. He thought, there's a, it's a good chance she'll go out with me. Right. So, so he asked <laughs> me out. The stage. He didn't ask me out for one day. He asked me out for two. Nice. <laughs> so I said yes to both. Get the, get the second one out of the way, too. That's but then I thought, what if he doesn't like me on the first date? <laughs> then what does he do? <laughs> Stuck with me again. But we had fun. It well, was good. Fun. Mm-hmm. So what were you studying, Alan? I was studying environmental health, actually. Mm-hmm. In, my, in my last year, I think it was, of high school, I took a class on what was it, science and survival, something. It was a radical environmental class um, in 1970 when the environmental movement was just getting going. And it got me interested in that sort of thing. So I um, wanted to learn about that and clean up the world. So mm-hmm. that's what I was studying. That's cool. So you asked her out for two dates. I've not heard of that before. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking, but it did work out. So, yeah, we, we, there was a Tabernacle Choir concert, I think it was, mm-hmm. some kind of patriotic thing. And you taught symphony and Tabernacle Choir combined. Fun. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And we saw all the President's Men movie right. about Watergate yes. back in the day. Yeah. Great show. Yeah. So, did you? Could, this was before your mission, or did you serve a mission? I served a mission in the wilds of Central California. Okay. And, and then, so it was right after my mission, a few months after that, I went to BYU. Okay. Back in the days when if you went on a mission, you could get into BYU regardless uh-huh. of your grades. Uh, nice. Which was, <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I wouldn't have gotten into BYU today. But okay. Get a scholarship. Then. Not in high school. It was, <laughs> it was a different story then. Okay. That was old me. Okay. So you start dating and then um, things... 
mostly just hanging. I was a pest. Actually. So I was I was quite naive about a lot of things. Uh, still am about some things, but but I was not aware of, of the way things typically work in relationships and such. So so I thought that if a girl, if I was interested in spending time with a the girl, then she was obviously interested in spending all of her time with me. So mm-hmm. I would just show up at an house and say, here I am, let's uh-huh. do something, or let's just sit down and talk or whatever. Right. And she would have other guys there, because she, she had seven proposals before I showed up. <laughs> and so um, she was waiting for me, fortunately. So so I would just show up at an house, and, and it caused her some awkward situations, but... Um, Eventually, it worked out. Actually, she moved away. She graduated, as people uh-huh. do sometimes at BYU. And then she left and went back to Portland. And uh, I was there just kind of a lone man in Provo, um, which is not a bad deal either, actually. But, <laughs> but I thought, hey, how did I let her get away? So I thought I should, um, she should have married her. Actually, it came up because I had a friend from Little Rock, who, where I grew up, who had her husband in Fort Lewis, uh, Wash near Tacoma, Washington. She wanted to go visit him for Fourth of July, mm-hmm. and she knew that I had a friend in Portland, so she asked if I would drive with her as far as Portland, and then she could drive up to visit her husband, and then put me, pick me up on the way back down. So I called, I think, so I probably called, mm-hmm. and asked if it would be okay if I, if I came up to visit for the Fourth of July of 1976 the big bicentennial, yeah. and she said, that's okay, I'll um, show you the beach or whatever. So so I went up, and before I went up, I went to the temple and, and um, with my plan that um, I was going to ask her to marry me, unless I heard otherwise, and I didn't hear otherwise. So we were, it was a Sunday night, the 4th of July was, and we were on our way to a young adult fireside of some kind. Mm-hmm. Thank and, you. Um, Traffic was such because of fireworks that uh, we couldn't go anyplace. So we just mm-hmm. pulled off the road with everybody else. And along the river that goes through Portland, there was some yeah. huge fireworks display going on. So we just sat and watched the fireworks and talked. And mm-hmm. we got engaged while somebody maybe 10 feet from us was playing, had the Battle Hymn of the Republic from the Tabernacle Choir going on their little boom box that's our song battle yeah. of the republic that's yeah. a good song kind of cool yeah <laughs> that's a, a great romantic thing so um so we got engaged watching the fireworks show and then we couldn't get out until two o'clock in the morning Three. wow so we were My stuck there in, in traffic <laughs> yeah and so um it was cool it was a very spiritual experience so so i i'm um well i won't say that never mind mm. <laughs> so did you grow up in portland Mm-hmm. I'm in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right in Portland or we're in... Northeast, near the airport. Okay. Yep. That's where I was a teenager. I was a child until I was 12 in California. Okay. What part of California? Both northern and southern. Um, northern in Gridley, which is near Oroville, where they had okay. the problem with the dam. And then southern California in Glendale, which is near Pasadena, Altadena, okay. Burbank, all that. So then... Did you go to BYU from Portland? Yes. Okay. And then after you graduated, back to Portland until he came and tracked you the down? Next month. <laughs> and I, yes. During the summers, between college semester, college years, she worked at what later became the Boeing Portland factory. Okay. It wasn't yep. Boeing at the time, but then later Boeing bought it. They made parts for Boeing. Parts, yes. Okay. I was a teamster. Cool. So and we have environmental messes there that we're cleaning up. <laughs> I didn't make any of those. <laughs> so um, you got married, and then how many kids do you have? Six. Six kids. Mm-hmm. And I know you have several that live nearby. Mm-hmm. So how many do you have living close? Let's see. Alan Jr. and Thomas is in our ward. Thomas mm-hmm. with his wife. And right. then um, Brad. Well, Alan's in the first ward, I think, right? Yes, Alan's mm-hmm. in the first ward. Thomas is right now in our ward, and then there's Brad, who's lives, who lives just three hours away in St. Joseph, Michigan. Okay. And then we have a daughter in Palmyra, New York, which is, but she's moving to North Carolina really soon. Okay. So, and those are all of our, the, the ones that have children. Okay. So they're kind of within reach. Yeah. And then we have some who don't have children. We have one single son in, we left behind in Bremerton, Washington. Okay. And a daughter who lives in the, near China Lake. 
in middle of the desert in California with her husband. Okay. He works in, at China Lake on the naval base there as a computer nerd. And she doesn't like it. And it's really <laughs> dusty and dry and homely place. So you've spent most of your married life in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Now you're in um, Indiana. You've been here for two and a half years. years. Yeah. So how do you like Indiana so far? I love it. I grew mm-hmm. up in Little Rock. It's, it's similar in a lot of ways to okay. Little Rock. And you have cardinals. We have yes, cardinals here did. and fireflies. Yes. Or lightning bugs, whatever they're called. Did, you didn't have fireflies growing up, did you? Oh, no. No, no. No cardinals either, no. Yeah. I grew up in California, and I'd never seen a firefly Mm-mm. until I no. moved out here. Disneyland has fake ones. That's all. <laughs> it's not the same, though. No, it's not. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. So what about you? Did you have fireflies, fireflies mm-hmm. in Little Rock? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, the weather was similar, and the new plants and everything are pretty similar. So, so I feel at home here. Yeah, yeah, I'm used to hot, humid summers. Well, I used to be used to them. I'm, being in Seattle for 30 years, I kind of forgot what that was like, but yeah. now I'm remembering. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So um, you said that you went to BYU after, after your mission. Where did you serve your mission? Started in Modesto, California, and then went down to Port. I was in the Central Valley most of the time. I finished up in Berkeley in 1974, at kind of the height of the hippie era. Yeah. So we kind of stood out with our white shirts and short hair. A little bit different, yeah. 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 We lived, so in our area was the, the apartment where Patty Hearst, the newspaper tycoon's daughter, was yeah. kidnapped from. And then she apparently switched and became a terrorist herself. But, so part of the area tour was to go by and see the apartment where she was nabbed from. Huh. That was kind of cool. Yeah, just kind of right there in the middle of... Everything. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very interesting time. So married six kids, and um, you had, did you have kids living near you? You have one still in the Pacific Northwest. So did you have other grandkids, other kids up there? No. So you moved out here to be close to grandkids. Mm-hmm. And um, I do have to say, your ties are fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I agree. <laughs> Only kind he wears. <laughs> I've noticed that. It seems that every... I don't, how many different ties do you have? These are all ties with pictures of his, his grandkids. Well I, have, well, I have some that I don't wear much because they're outdated, but I, I have probably have a dozen or so all together of, um, over the years, maybe more. Yeah. That's fun. And there's rumor that I'm getting an update of uh-huh. one of them sometimes. <laughs> there, there. We have 19 grandchildren. Okay. And one son has not yet provided me a tie, so I don't have any from the one family. So, That's right. so they're extremely delinquent in that regard. So, do the the kids each provide the tie for you with their kids? Oh yes, yeah, I'm too cheap to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, callings are not our identity, but right now you have a. I'm just going to say it's a challenging calling. I taught seminary for a couple of years, and I know what goes into it. So, talk about. How you, and I, and no, the, over the last couple of weeks, you guys have both spoken in sacramenting, but uh, t- tell a little bit about how that calling came and how comfortable or how confident you were in, <laughs> as Louisa shaking no. her head. No, no. I was not. I was shocked. I gasped. Uh-huh. Yeah, we didn't see that coming at all. No. I thought maybe family history. That'd be fun. I love yeah. that. I love doing all kinds of things. I like learning. It's wonderful. But that was a shock. So you haven't taught seminary before? No. Okay. Only really mm. cool people teach seminary. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll add you to the list of really cool people, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. <clears throat> so that was this, this was your first year, or did you teach last year? August we, was when we started. Yeah, we yeah. started with your son, Edison. Yeah. With Edison, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you had the... Was it just freshmen in your class? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, from the three wards in the, mid, in the building. Nice. So what are some things that you learned teaching seminary over the last year? Learned, uh, so the first semester was Church History and Doctrine and Covenants, mm-hmm. but that now seems so long ago that I've pretty much forgotten everything that we oh, talked no. about back in those days. So the Old Testament is more recent in memory, 
And there's just been some amazing and cool stories from the Old Testament that were probably there before, but I never noticed them before. And we study that every four years, so yeah. I'm not sure how I missed it all those. Well, I, I, I never went to Sunday school much or elders quorum or high priest group back in the day because I was pretty much always doing youth stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I was very rarely in um, the regular classes with other adults, mm-hmm. which is fine because I... <laughs> I like being with the youth. He does. They're a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> than some of these older guys. So, um, yeah, in seminaries, there's a change in how seminaries being taught with, uh, it used to be you'd have a curriculum for the year, you'd be on church history for the whole year. And it was, right. was it this year that that changed? I don't know. For us, I, th- I think it actually may have changed a year or two ago where they okay. started changing to keep up with whatever the church was studying for the right. calendar, but I'm not come really sure. Me. Trying to keep up with the family so that Come Follow Me matches seminary and you can discuss things together right. and learn more. And that, I think, makes a lot of sense because yes. then what we discuss discuss in our home, Come Follow Me, is what we talk about on mm-hmm. Sunday, and it's, mm-hmm. it matches up with the seminary mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we tell our students that they should be the experts in their family yeah. discussions after all this cool stuff we told them. I don't know if, if that worked out well, but... They could have been if they'd been paying attention. <laughs> That's true. So um, insights in the scriptures or um, what are some things that you, that were, um, maybe what are some things that are different than what you expected as seminary teachers? Hmm. We expected it to be a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And it was. Um, it is. Yeah. We didn't really have a good appreciation or expectation, I guess, of, of how um, grinding isn't really a good word for it. Constant? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's a pretty, it's a very demanding job. You just yeah. have to always be ready to be on your game and, and ready you, to teach. And you want to do your very best. You right. have like 16 wonderful people there who are uh-huh. just eager to learn too, most of them, and they just sit there and you, you have to present things to them so they can be excited about it and want to learn more right. and and retain it and take it home with them. Mm-hmm. And also the spirit needs to be there so when they go to, those, go to school mm-hmm. directly from seminary, whatever, so most of them are in school. There was a, we had a homeschooler and we had some other, but, but you know a little bit what's what they're going through and they need to be strengthened so when they get there they're okay because it's just um my youngest daughter um is came a lot later than the rest Mm -hmm. and they had a open house not open house a a day when parents could come to school she said mother you don't want to be there you couldn't handle the hallways i mean you wouldn't want to hear what they're they're saying and he says don't come don't come don't come and that was several years ago and i think wow we didn't have that kind of problem. Um, like I said this morning in my talk, I went to elementary school in Los Angeles, walked to school in, mm-hmm. in downtown Los Angeles area of Glendale, and didn't hear one bad word on the playground or in the classroom until right. I got to seventh grade in Portland, Oregon, and one of the girls said, shut up. And I thought, oh, <laughs> I will never be her friend. That's awful. Awful. I know, we just don't use those, that term. And so right. that was the worst word I heard until seventh grade that so things have changed dramatically for these poor students and they have to be so strong and seminary hopefully strengthens them we felt that obligation to try to fortify them with the scriptures and the spirit yeah what did it do for you was did you find a a daily uh renewal or a daily strengthening as you study the scriptures on a daily basis Partly, partly because you have to, because you owe it to the children to be on your best, do your best and, and st- keep the spirit with you all day right. so you can get inspiration of how to teach them or how to approach things. And um, it was fascinating to learn the things that we learned. And mm-hmm. using the Institute manual really helped yeah. clarify. And like Alan said, where were these things before? I don't remember seeing that in the right. scriptures. Well, he was in young men's classes, apparently. <laughs> but I wasn't. And I still learned. I love learning. And I loved the things we learned. And um, it made me feel like when you learn about Moses and how he kind of slipped a little bit here and there, but mm-hmm. he was strong. And you think, oh, 
and, and Joseph was so strong, but then there was David, who was weak. Right. And I, eventually, and I thought, oh, mm. oh, I want to be like Joseph. I want to be like Joseph. Please help me be like Joseph. I don't want to be like David, please. And you're at the end of my life, and I don't want to slip. Yeah. Anybody can slip. Because we can, yeah, we see with David that oh, it doesn't David. take much. No. So that, that um, keeps you on your toes. You think yeah. you learn from these people, these poor people. Poor David had to be an example of like, you failed. Right, and it's a very public failure. Yes, I know. So it makes you really want to stay on the path. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the children, the students in the class felt the same way. Yeah. I was surprised, I shouldn't have been, I guess, but, um, maybe surprise isn't the word, um, but I, I think it's way cool that the whole book is about the Savior. Mm-hmm. And every yeah. all the stories, mm-hmm. every lesson was... Uh, was directing us toward the Savior and mm-hmm. His atonement and how all these things symbolize what He was yep. eventually doing and, and the lives of many of the prophets uh, were foretelling what the Savior was going to be doing. And it's way cool. So when Paul tells Timothy, study the scriptures because that's what you need for life eternal, he was talking about the books of Moses and yeah. these other writings that we have. He wasn't talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's, it's just way cool. That's neat. So um, things could change at any time, but at this point, is it looking like it's going to be the same thing next year, teaching the freshmen? That's what we've been told. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's cool. And next year, we're going to have the first half of the year still Old Testament, and then we move to New Testament, right? Right, I think so. Okay. And they're working on improving even what we have now. Their seminary people up there, whatever they are, are working on improving the lessons. Mm-hmm. And... That's they're always doing that. It's because now, so if we just follow, come follow me strictly, then our class would miss out on the whole story of David, actually, because that's going to happen right. during June and July okay. when, when we're not doing seminary. So we actually jumped ahead uh-huh. and squeezed those in because we saw that that was going to happen, and we thought everybody needs to know about David, and we jumped ahead to get them across the Jordan River into the Promised Land too, because otherwise it'd be. They had been stuck outside just looking across the water, which wouldn't be a cool place to leave them after all that right. time. So they're working, as I understand it, they're working on the curriculum to uh, compress this somehow so that you don't have those gaps built okay. into the seminary lessons. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So um, what are some, if you're not teaching seminary and you're not cleaning up the environment, what are some things that you enjoy doing? I enjoy... Well, Working with the scouts for all those years, I developed a great love of the outdoors and hiking and backpacking and that sort of thing. Have had wonderful adventures doing that. And in the, the Northwest is a great place to be for that because yeah. you have Mount St. Helens, you have the ocean, you have the Puget Sound and Mount Rainier and a rainforest, just all these way cool things within a couple of hours drive. So we, we did a lot of a lot of way cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And actually, I miss the mountains because there aren't any mountains within a couple of thousand miles of here. And you could see them from wherever you were there. Yeah. Um, and I haven't done that much. Well, I haven't done hardly anything here, actually, in that regard. Went camping with the family once, which is way cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to do more of that because it's, it's good therapy to be out in nature. Yes. And, Roaming around through the trees and hearing the water flowing and stuff, and that and being disconnected is, I think, there's mm-hmm. a, a tremendous value in that. Right, yeah, it gives you some time to disconnect from technology, stuff. but maybe connected with nature, connected with other people. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. It's good to have quiet time when you're not listening to podcasts or other things that take your time. Except for this one, yeah. <laughs> this podcast is okay to listen all to all the time. Right. All the time. So you're a fan of podcasts? It sounds like. I do like yours, actually, and there's maybe a couple of others that I've listened to. So. Yep. He works outside a lot in the yard okay. and always has his little ear things in so he can listen to podcasts uh-huh. or something, or, or the seminary lessons, whatever it is, mm-hmm. outside. Right. And um, we also work in the temple as baptism, what do they call us? Baptistry coordinators. Baptistry coordinators okay. on, on certain Wednesdays in mornings, so okay. we do that. We've been working in the temple since we got here. Cool. And I worked in the Seattle Temple before I came here uh-huh. um, while he was still working. So that was fun. So on Wednesday mornings, are you every other Wednesday? It's second and fourth. Second and fourth. So if 
your seminary kids decided to go to the yeah. temple on the second or fourth Wednesday. Yeah, we told morning, them that. Then, that summer seminary. Summer yes, seminary. Then come, uh, come visit. Well, that's good. Um, what else? What are some of the things you'd like to do, Louise? Other than I like to learn everything. I like to learn a lot. I just love learning. Uh-huh. Um, and my my major um, home economics helped me throughout my entire life, adult mm. life. And I like to. I, I go through phases, like most people do, right? Uh-huh. I did some quilting and I did upholstering. I reupholstered a lot of furniture. I like to refinish furniture. I like to. I don't like to cook much, though. Gonna, I mean, I like to bake, but okay. um, I, I like to do art, artsy things uh-huh. and um, build things. And if I were a man, man, I would build heavy, heavy wooden furniture. Or uh-huh. I don't. I, mean, I can't do a lot of that. But um, I. She made bags for seminary students. Oh yeah. Because oh. one of our students brought in a kind of a book bag one morning, mm-hmm. so that that's a good idea. So uh-huh. she just over the weekend made book bags for everybody else in the whole class out of, cool. out of material we had laying around. And so they put their stuff in it and kept it in the room in a little cart that was hanging around the church building so we didn't have to. At first we were dragging stuff home every day and bringing it back, yeah. which was kind of a pain. Yeah. So um, It's a faster way just grabbing the books all together, everything in a bag. Yeah. Um, in college I was in the women's chorus. Okay. I took... A night class in cake decorating. Cool. I joined the BYU ballroom dance team, uh-huh. but that kind of bored me after a while, and I quit. And <laughs> I mean, I just want to try things out. Right. And um, um, I was in the Arizona club, even though I wasn't from Arizona, because I, I thought I thought cowboys were fun and dancing. Yeah. That cowboy dance stuff was fun. And I took dance classes when I was a geezer lady. <laughs> I did clogging for about six years, um, twice a week. Uh-huh. So I like to try different things, and when I find something I really like, especially sewing, I really like to sew and create okay. things that nobody else in the world has. Yeah. It's fun. So do you create your own patterns? or Sometimes, but um, yeah, I can do that, but I, it's hard to find. I wish people could live like to be 300 years old, because uh-huh. there's so much to do, and now that I'm getting older, I'm having to focus on like family history. I love uh-huh. doing family history. I do it every day. Uh-huh. Um, my ancestors came from here, and like my third great grandparents, one set is buried in Knightstown. They lived oh, in, some people close. lived in Zionsville. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And my mother in Portland always wanted to come here. She wanted to come to Ohio and Indiana so badly that um, and I felt sorry for her because she was working in family history, but we just couldn't afford to have her come out here. Yeah. But um, she's gone now. She's been gone for a long time, but I've been able to go to the, see their headstones and take pictures and put them onto family tree. And, oh, cool. And, with a click of a button, I can find more information than she could in a year. Yeah, it's just ex- accelerated so fast. It's, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Um, so I really enjoy finding the people and then doing their work in the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it's it's very rewarding. Yeah. But now that I'm older, I just can't. I don't think I'll go back to quilting and refinishing furniture all that as much because I feel like a time is. Precious, more precious than it even was. Uh-huh. And now that I have experience in doing things that are like that, like the family history, I should I should concentrate on things that are really important. Right. Um, and buy furniture instead, or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I I've, there have been times that I felt um, just kind of a draw to find out more about my family or about my. Um, I have all this recording equipment, for example, and and when mm. I go out to visit my parents, just to listen to them tell stories. And have some of those documented. There are stories that I heard growing up that I can repeat. But having, being able to hear that in my mom's voice or in my dad's voice, that's just really, that's something that's not going to always be available. Well, my, you're right. My sister, younger sister, was getting ready to take a, a to go, tape. yeah, cassette tape player or whatever back mm-hmm. then to my mother. Um, and have her t- do that, yeah. and she died. Mother died the week before the oh, flight, wow. so she couldn't do it. Yeah. And yet, my cousin um, audio taped my grandmother mm-hmm. and asked her lots of questions, and it was on an old reel-to-reel. Mm-hmm. She put that not too long ago onto Family Tree in little segments, like five-minute segments. You yeah. can do that. And I recognize my grandmother's voice talking about her grandmother and oh, things wow. like that. And my grandma was born in the 1800s. That's so cool. that was, that's so valuable. So I think you should do this. Yes. Really? Well, 
<laughs> there's, you know, the, the scripture about the, the children's hearts being turned to their fathers. I think that really happens mm-hmm. as we, um, what are, as we gain experiences with family history and, and we catch that spark. So that's just, um, it's fun to, to experience it. And it's also fun to hear other people talk about the, the way that they've kind of captured that in their lives. Have you had some of the same uh, experiences with family history, Alan? I haven't gotten into it as much as okay. Louise has. In college, I did take a class in family history, I think, and I got the spirit of Elijah momentarily there and was uh-huh. really getting into it and enjoying it. I think it was way cool. And it's, I assumed that when I retired, I would be spending some certain amount of hours every week doing that too. But the yard work and other things seem to have taken up enough of my time that I haven't really gotten into it too much. Yeah. But our yard is beautiful, isn't it? He does a really good <laughs> job. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yes. it <laughs> and it's fun to, um, um, well, I should say, I don't know if it's fun, but there have been times that, as I remember as a youth thinking, okay, when I'm an adult, this is going to be a higher priority for me. And, and it sometimes is and sometimes is it. But it's, um, I think sometimes it's, just, it's okay that, there are seasons to things and mm-hmm. sometimes exactly you know if if you have a an interest that uh, blesses you and blesses your family that's wonderful and it's if uh, somebody else has a different interest that blesses you and your family that's also wonderful as well I don't think that that um, and that's one of the things is I've talked to people about family history specifically that it is so easy to feel guilty about not doing enough mm-hmm. and I think that just being aware of what what kinds of things we can do is, I think that can be important. That even just documenting our own stories True. is a great way to, to maintain that. I think there's a time and place for everything. I felt about 12 years ago, I felt um, prompted that I should start doing this. Uh-huh. And I didn't have any, I didn't have much information. I didn't have, I didn't know what to, where to start. I didn't know how to do it. Um, but I felt prompted. And um, can I tell a story? Sure. Okay. So um, I would go to the temple every Wednesday with a friend of mine. We'd just go up there in Seattle and go to the temple. And she and I, uh, you're not supposed to do this, but a little man walked up to me in the lobby with a card, a pink card, and said, would you mind doing this work for my Aunt Lucille? And I thought, okay, you're not supposed to do this, but I'll do it anyway. And he told me about his little Aunt Lucille. And I had been praying that morning that I would be able to do the work for somebody who's never had their work done before, not a duplicate, right? because I didn't have any names to take myself, uh-huh. and somebody who really wanted her work done. Well, he handed me this. I thought, well, that's cool. I have somebody who's never had her work done, and I can just answer to my prayer, right? Yeah. So I get into the, um, this, the session before it started, and I thought about this little Lucille. And the words came into my head several times. You had an Aunt Lucille. She had a sister named Ruby. I wonder if her work's been done. I thought, I'm sure it has. She's been dead for three years, and my Aunt Ada grabs all the names, and I'm sure she did it. (laughs) But it kept coming in my head. I thought, I'll go check. Okay, after we went to the temple, I went down to the Family History Center and checked. Aunt Ruby's work had not been done. She was born in Spanish Fork, and she, she was not a member of the church. But she didn't have her work done, and I knew her, and I thought, there's the answer to my prayer. I get yeah. to do work for somebody who wants it done, who's never had it done before. Right. So I quickly, it was almost Christmas, but I don't care. I'm going to work on this. And I got her information, and, but I didn't know her, I didn't know her maiden name. Uh-huh. And the, about the only paper I had of my mother's was Ruby's father's um, funeral uh, announcement thing, whatever. Right. And it said, Ruby's father. Oh, there's her maiden name. Right. So I was able to go down and get all the work done. All in one day, I got the baptism done and, and everything except for sealing to her parents. Uh-huh. I just rushed it in. And then I finally got her sealed to her parents. And then that spring, I was driving down the, a, a nice little road by myself, quiet. And I thought, wait a minute, she has a, a husband, Uncle Neil. I wonder if he wants his work done too. So I and I just happened to turn on the radio, and the first thing that came out was Ruby, la 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 la, la or whatever. I thought, and I felt really peaceful. I thought, yeah. Uncle Neil. Now Uncle Neil had a was they didn't have any children by the way. It was my great uncle Neil, great great aunt. They he was a perfect 
He had everything perfect. His little little mustache curled up and was perfect. Uh. He had a Christmas tree that he would, they had no children, but he would decorate it with his tin, the tinsel. Then he'd clip the tinsel and measure it kind of make like three <laughs> inches long. And then he'd wrap empty boxes that all had coordinating colored. Uh-huh. They lived on a, one of those, in Southern California, one of those fancy houses with the stilts that come down the mm-hmm. side of the mountain. And they had, they had everything. And he traveled the world and all this stuff. So I found their, their marriage certificate. I mean, I found when they got married online, and somebody sitting next to me at the Family History Center said, are you sure that's right? I thought, well, it says right here. Uh-huh. So I thought, okay, I'll check. I was naive. But I, I checked, and I sent for their marriage record, and it wasn't right. Huh. And I thought, Uncle Neil would not have liked it if I didn't have it just right. right. So I got it just right, and I got his work done. And then my Aunt Ada took over and done all the rest. I mean, she, <laughs> she did. <laughs> anyway, but I was able to get one person done. And this is the funny part. Not funny, but after I did Aunt Ruby, and I was so happy I got to do one person. Right. Um, it's like a fire hose hit me, like, Louise is doing temple work. Have her do mine too. Have her do mine too. And I had, I ended up with hundreds of people. And I have pioneer ancestors on both sides. But I still found hundreds of people that didn't have their work done. And I was able just to be so excited and do all these wonderful. That's great. Isn't that great? The spirit of Elijah is real. Yes. And then you have to have help from the other side. I mean, somebody had to put it in my head. Go check on, you know, Aunt Ruby. But that's... And that, I think, is part of the miracle. Yes. Is that that happens from the other side. Mm-hmm. So. That, was, that was, I mean, I get like at a football game when you get excited. Uh-huh. That's how I get about family history. <laughs> One night I almost woke up the family. I found someone's middle name. It was Martin. And I almost jumped out of my chair. I did jump out of my chair. And I almost yelled. I thought, oh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I better be quiet. That's anyway. Great. Sorry to talk about So what else should the ward know about the Cowell family? We're happy to be here. We love our ward mm-hmm. in the state. It's a great ward. It is, yeah. And we're we're and I love the people we met through your podcast too. It's been okay. great fun, and we're getting to know people, our seminary students from uh-huh. the other Fishers wards. It's been a really cool experience getting to know them, and, and you can see that they obviously have awesome families too. Yeah, yeah. We've got a great. There's a great community of saints in the Fishers area. Mm-hmm. So we've been here since '93 and absolutely love it here. Wow. So. And it's great to come to a place where we have kind of a built-in nice reputation because of our son. Everybody just <laughs> loves right. him. They're such That's awesome right. people. So everybody thinks we must be okay, too. So it's just really nice to get that kind of a spillover reputation. He married a perfect yeah. person. Oh, she's Jenny wonderful. is wonderful. Yeah. She's yeah. Really cool. Yes. It's one of those rare things where the, the sequel is better than the original. So it's <laughs> Sorry. I like to say that about my pa- my parents too. That the sequel is better than the original. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been so much fun to talk to you and get to know you a little bit. Um, if you would just wrap up by sharing some uh, some thoughts about your testimony. What are some things that that your experience through life, whether it's family history work or your experience teaching seminary or working with the youth, how has that um, blessed your testimony? I think we're here, we're here with a plan. Uh, Heavenly Father had a plan for us when he sent us here. Mm-hmm. And as long as we are trying to be close to, to seeing our prayers, listening, trying to follow the Spirit, then we can finish our plan on the earth and do what we're supposed to do, whatever, small or great, whatever it is. Yeah. And um, I'm just glad it's not... I mean, I'm, I'm just glad we were sent here at this time of of the earth it's a great time to be here even though it's kind of hard um it's anyway um not that other people aren't blessed to live in, in rougher conditions but mm-hmm. i'm kind of getting sidetracked here but i'm just glad i was sent here at this time <laughs> but um as long as we're doing what we're supposed to be doing then we can finish our mission mm-hmm. i think i think and i feel comfortable wherever i am i've liked yeah. everywhere i've lived that's great i've liked every ward i've been in uh-huh. so that's great. How about you, Alan? What are some ways that your testimony has been blessed by your service? Well, my whole life has been just wonderful and totally, almost totally unplanned. Because I, I had a scout when he was 12 years old. He knew he wanted to go to medical school and he was going to be in the Air Force and they were going to pay for it. And, and, he, and so he took courses in junior high and high school based on that mm-hmm. uh, line of reasoning. And 
And I just saw on Facebook a couple of days ago, he just made a lieutenant colonel, and, and he, his plan has just worked. But, uh-huh. but I was, you know, I, I went to college and just took this, I majored in something I was kind of interested in because I thought it would be fun, but I didn't have any idea what kind of jobs people could do or if they paid enough to support a family, which it turns out there weren't many jobs that they did. Um, and so I've just kind of stumbled into all these cool opportunities that have been such a blessing in my life. So I, I have a testimony that the Lord is the master choreographer and he can put people in our path that we need to bump into. Yeah. And they help us, we help them, and, and it just works out. And and teaching seminary has been a similar experience where it certainly wasn't something that we were looking for or mm-hmm. something that we wanted, but it's been a wonderful blessing to have all these new youngsters in our in our life. But one that we had our neighborhood lawnmower race yesterday. <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah, and um, <laughs> some of our seminary friends came over and and um, helped us cheat and win the lawnmower race <laughs> in our neighborhood. He pushed, so, he pushed so him so down was, the street. It was really cool. I heard you were a winner. <laughs> yes, I won. I, that was a, very much a surprise. Yeah. Um, but, but but the Lord is just so good, and mm-hmm. he, he loves us, and he, he will bless us as much as we let him. We just have to get out of his way and let him do his thing, and he'll, he'll give us peace and joy yeah. and wonderful experiences, and I love it. It's great how things kind of coordinate, that he puts people in our path, but also... I'm a believer that he puts us in other pe- other people's paths right. mm-hmm. yeah, definitely to uh, that, bless yeah. their lives. And that's just, that's wonderful when mm-hmm. when we find out that yeah. that was an experience that we got to participate in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool to see that you've been able to bless somebody else's life. Yeah. I'll bet you could come up with dozens of times that happened in your life. I think so. Yeah. I think, I think so. And it's, it's um, you know, absolutely we recognize when, when other people are that person for us. Yes. And I love uh, when we get those insights into knowing that we were that person for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that comes from maybe an, an inspirational experience or, or it could be somebody just sharing their feedback about our involvement in something, but That's it's true. wonderful yeah. when that happens. You might think about it years later. Yeah. Well, thanks for spending a little bit of time with us. It was so great to get to know the Coles Wells a little bit. And thanks to those listening. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fisher Second Ward podcast. Please share it with members of the ward or others who you think might be interested or might be enriched and blessed by listening to our stories. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.